Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Mangaung. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. Well, A-teamers, you know when it's a Monday around this time, we raise the bar and we are going to be joined by Penny Milner-Smythe of Ethical Ways um, for our weekly segment to make sure that we talk all things ethics and corruption and making sure that we put a spotlight and give some insight on how to approach solutions that can move us forward. Um, I think it's very important for us to move forward and know how to move forward. It's also an area in which, um, you know, the Earth's ability to sustain life is of grave concern, right? We are all looking at how global warming is affecting us, um, the impact on our ecosystem. And uh, very befitting that we are having this discussion this evening because the 3rd of March, being this week Thursday, we are going to see the observance of World Wildlife Day. And this is a United Nations event that has become the most important a global annual event dedicated to wildlife. And I'm glad we've got such a day to dedicate to wildlife since global warming has really ravaged us. But not only that, things like poaching and illegal activities around wildlife. Now, the theme for this year's Wildlife Day is uh, recovering key species for ecosystem restoration with the specific goals of drawing attention to the conservation status of critically endangered species and also engaging uh, imaginative solutions to their conservation aligned with the sustainable development goals. Let's welcome Penny, who's going to be joining us. So we are going to be looking at uh, whistleblowing in this area. Penny, good evening. Good evening, Patricia. Lovely to be with you and the listeners again this Monday. It's an absolute pleasure and we really appreciate your time. So we're talking and looking at whistleblowing, right? One of the many weapons that I believe could be an arsenal that we need to use in fighting against poaching, which has really become rife. I think during the hard lockdown in South Africa, we didn't have so many incidents, but um, they've been creeping up. Uh, so I, I, it sounds as if we are pulling a few of our themes from the past couple of weeks that we've been together and we are applying them to a whole new era of interest, Penny. You're right, Patricia. And thanks to producer uh, Ben, uh, who is passionate about uh, wildlife. Uh, we've been challenged to tackle this important topic this evening. Uh, Some may wonder about the link between wildlife and corruption, but unfortunately, it's a very strong link. You know, as hard as people work to agree plans to conserve our environment, there are people who profit from its destruction. These are people who will never be party to some official climate agreement. Uh, Illegal logging is a good example. In some countries, Brazil, Myanmar, for example, the forests are an essential part of our global environment, but those who profit from the illegal felling of centuries-old trees simply go about their business by paying small bribes to officials to turn a blind eye. If we come to our own region, and this evening we're going to be talking about the sub-Saharan African region quite specifically, it's home to a wealth of the world's important endangered plants and animals. And what we may not realize 
is that the harm that corrupt and criminal activity is doing to our national parks and game reserves can be having a bad effect on the quality of life for human beings, not just in the future, but right now. Mm, I think it's something that we don't really consider, Penny. We don't really consider the fact that uh, this could harm um, the well-being of human beings. Now, let's go to that particular statement that you made. I mean, uh, talk to us about wildlife crime and how specifically can harm humans right now. With pleasure. People think of parks and reserves as being for the benefit of wild animals. But consider the extent of employment created by these parks. It's employment that's created in rural areas where other jobs are not in good supply. Were it not for the parks, we would not have the ecotourists coming and spending their money in rural areas. Imagine what a burden, an additional burden that puts on the fiscus. Perhaps the most important point, Patricia, if we take a broader African perspective, is that where we have the rehabilitation of national parks, we are seeing the forging of stability in key areas that were previously the site of decades long conflict. And when I talk about the national parks in sub-Saharan Africa, I am talking from A to Z, from Angola to Zimbabwe. So there's quite a lot that is happening, but I, I, I'm assuming that if a person has the responsibility of running a national park, right, that that person's strategy needs to use, um, you know, a, a different approach as opposed to public or private sector organization. They need to protect their assets as much as possible and uh, in a very different way from uh, the other sectors uh, in terms of operating in a more urban area. So shouldn't this be a key role for those who are running these national parks? Well, it is. It's consuming huge amounts of their time, Patricia. And of course, there's an ever-growing range of uh, tools and strategies being applied and great research that's being done in this area. Um, but to answer the question, uh, is it different from the strategies uh, that we apply in a more urban environment? Well, it's an important question. Um, and on the one hand, the answer is yes, it's very different. And on the other, no, it's not at all. So. Uh, perhaps I should go ahead and talk about the ways in which managing a national park is very different from managing your office park in Auckland Park. No, please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'd just like to ask you to imagine for a moment that you are the custodian of enormous quantities of diverse, high-value, fast-moving assets. These are assets located across millions of hectares. It's quite something. Mm. This is a reality faced by those responsible for the management of national parks and game reserves. And while other organizations can turn to a range of tried and tested methods to secure that which they procure and produce, there's no ease of stock taking or surveillance or security when it comes to wild animals requiring protection spread over vast tracts of land. Hmm. So it, it, it's quite something this, but whew, like that, it's in, in the corporate language, as it were, running a national park suddenly sounds like a 
overwhelming and absolutely daunting task and something that I think, as I'm imagining, I wouldn't be able to handle. Absolutely. So I don't know if it makes you feel any better, Patricia, but here are the ways in which running a park is no different to the challenges of corruption, such as fraud, um, that are faced by any other organization. Think about this. There are a lot of similarities between national parks and any other sector. Theft can occur at the hands of outsiders or insiders, or insiders and outsiders working together. Uh, it often involves corruption, where the scheme architects use methods such as bribery or extortion and fraud to get the cooperation of those who should otherwise not be supporting their unlawful goals. Really, the difference lies in the fact that those who steal wildlife, we call poachers rather than thieves. In that way, it's no different. Mm. All right. So poachers, thieves, people who are corrupt, it's one thing. There's no difference. A-teamers, please do join in on this conversation. I mean, it's very important that uh, we preserve our wildlife. And today we're talking, how do we shine a spotlight on corruption, on uh, theft, on uh, the negative impact that our wildlife is having, especially when it comes to poaching. The number you can dial in on is 011-714-2006 or you can WhatsApp 614 SMSs go to 41391 and our lovely guest is Penny Milner-Smythe of Ethical Ways. She's a woman that's facing corruption and uh, and ethical ways of doing things head on and teaching the rest of the world how to make things better. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli Monday to Thursday 10pm till midnight Social Conversations As I said in the start of our segment, uh, Raising the Bar, uh, this World Wildlife Day, um, which is uh, this week Thursday, sees a call for the application of innovative solutions to the endangerment of vulnerable species in support of the Sustainable Development Goals. Now, is there anything that national parks and game reserves are embracing that has a proven track record, uh, Penny, especially in the corporate environment? Is there something that they you, you can mimic to it? That's an interesting question. Uh, one of the very surprising truths is that more fraud and wrongdoing in the traditional workplace is detected by tips than by any other method. Now that seems counterintuitive. We think about the fact that perhaps it's auditors who uncover the most wrongdoing, or it's managers doing reviews that uncover the most wrongdoing. But international research, including in South Africa by fraud examiners, shows that, simply put, tips are tops. It's information. Um, it's pretty obvious if you think about it. If we want to detect and thwart illegal activity, Regardless of the context, we need information that it is happening. Uh, in the typical environment, work environment, um, we know from our discussions in recent weeks together here on Raising the Bar that anonymous whistleblowing can play a major role. Which brings us to the exciting fact that a growing number of national parks and reserves in sub-Saharan Africa, at the least, have appointed independent ethics hotline service providers to help them tap into information. 
But Penny, who's using these hotline numbers? Are they people who are using them, um, calling anonymously or even um, opening up to who their identity is? Is it locals? Is it tourists? Is it people working in the game reserves? Well, you're right. The tourists can play a very important role. Um, anyone who sees something untoward that seems suspicious um, can share that information under any circumstance, and it can be helpful. Um, actually, we saw in lockdown how vulnerable reserves became. Uh, they had no income to pay their staff, so staff levels were reduced during lockdown, Patricia, and there were no visitors driving around to deter criminals from targeting the animals. So the lockdown was an incredibly vulnerable period of time, calling for all kinds of innovative responses. But consider this. Um, Possibly in this environment that we're talking about more than in any other, the typical parks employee would be living in the community bordering the park, whether it's on the job or at home in the community, there's a good chance that that employee will hear whispers about planned or actual wrongdoing. But there's so much at stake in organized syndicate-based poaching that any ranger who speaks up openly is likely to become a target themselves. And this is where access to a dedicated hotline comes in. When that ranger knows that they can call and share information anonymously, they're more likely to do so. And given the value of this kind of intelligence in the fight against poaching, uh, it's very exciting because consider that the delivery of a monthly specialist ethics hotline service could cost a national park less than a few rounds of bullets. Mm, mm. I hear you, Penny. And this is uh, very wonderful. I mean, here in Africa, we are innovating in the process um, of adding to the arsenal of the tools that we use to fight crime against our national parks and, of course, our game reserves. So is there advice for our A-teamers who are listening right now, for now and in the future, be they employees of national parks or even just suppliers of them or perhaps visitors and guests? Great. Thanks for that question, Patricia. Perhaps um, just to backtrack and say that um, while we're talking about sub-Saharan Africa, it's important to know that these parks, um, and we're talking about um, many, many millions of hectares of land, um, are served by, uh, in the main, uh, specialist ethics hotline providers, many of which are, or some of which are based in South Africa. Uh, these are, are hotline providers that hold themselves to an extremely high standard. They tend to be um, certified as meeting international standards by our own ethics institute, the Ethics Institute um, based in South Africa. What these hotlines do is provide uh, people with information who want to share that information with a range of channels. It may be um, that a person is happy to make a call. They may not be happy to make a phone call and expose their voice, fearing that that could be a problem. And so there are other methods. There are um, SMS, there are online web forms. And before someone phones in and says, but these aren't available in the rural areas, what's so exciting is this. It's true that in parts of uh, Africa, 
there is not the equivalent of our toll-free hotline service. Uh, so what we're seeing people doing in rural areas is using the SMS please call me function uh, to contact their hotline um, and get a return call uh, from a trained operator who will uh, guide them through an interview um, in which they get to share their information. So that's a very interesting thing. What we know with ethics hotlines is that actual live call answering 24 hours a day is still the gold standard whatever technology um, we come up with certainly people can make reports via um, reporting apps so that's something else to uh, consider but yeah it's a really exciting area and so i think what we'd like to say to people is this is that if you get the impression uh, that there is something wrong in your relationship to our national parks or game reserves in the course of your working there uh, you're supplying those organizations uh, you're visiting them uh, and any other form of engaging with them find out who is the hotline provider uh, for that particular park good chance there'll be one um, I come from KZN uh, and uh, we have uh, here is Mvelo Wildlife and they are very clear on their website as to the um, toll free number or specialist number that you can call to report wrongdoing. So this is very exciting. Penny, don't you think that uh, the national parks should do more than just put it up on their websites? Because I can imagine you're driving through the Kruger and you might lose connection to, you know, your internet. Um, and you, 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 you are seeing live someone doing something wrong to the wildlife. Shouldn't they be having posters and billboards and placards throughout the nature reserve in designated places so it's easier for those visiting and working there to be able to blow the whistle and call these hotlines? That's a great suggestion. I'm not familiar with the arrangements in respect of the Kruger, uh, Patricia. I know that um, the parks that are served by um, whistleblowers ethics hotline um, they have the benefit of training of the staff that is delivered by the ethics hotline helping to promote confidence ensuring that the staff of the hotline um, are sorry the staff of the park um, feel confident that they can phone the hotline and certainly there you will find posters i think the major hotlines in south africa will all provide their clients with posters an interesting thing that happened in uh, 2017 was that we had improvements or amendments to South Africa's Protected Disclosures Act. And that extended the scope of the legislation uh, to embrace uh, more people. For example, there might be workers deployed at a, at a site that aren't actually employed by the organization itself, but are employed by, for example, an employment service um, or another contractor. And those people too have very valuable information. And so they need to be communicated with. And I think it's a great idea as people enter our parks, it would be wonderful if they um, were um, given material, encouraging them to report any untoward sighting. We can get all visitors to our parks to be the eyes and ears, 
you know, it's simply not possible to put electronic surveillance all over um, a park of many thousands of hectares. But of course, we can do that kind of surveillance on our factories. Um, and maybe one point that I wanted to make is this. It's important to feel or imagine what it must be like to be an employee of a park, having some suspicion or actually having knowledge of wrongdoing being planned against the park's assets. I mean, given that it's your job to protect them, um, it must be such a burden. And I know from talking with these ethics hotlines that they talk about the fact that people feel such relief when they can unburden themselves, share the information and disclose it, and effectively put it into the hands of those people who can take the information, share it with top management, um, and in that process, they discharge their duty. You know, we've spoken mm -hmm. so much in the last couple of weeks about that duty. Yeah. And so it's a really exciting uh, area um, to see this progress. And it's low cost, it's highly effective, and it's a solution that we need to be um, giving life to. So here's a question from an ATM via WhatsApp saying, what is the estimated or normal imprisonment term for poachers or those who may be caught to be behind such an act? I don't know the answer to that question and we'd have to ask an expert and maybe one of your ATMers can answer. But what that um, question does give me uh, the thought that I should mention, and it is a tangent, I apologize uh, to the ATMA, is to say that when we're talking about uh, trying to elicit information um, from the community, from employees about poaching, we're not talking about poaching for the pots. We're not talking about poverty-stricken communities um, bordering on reserves where good people are driven to illicit activities in order to feed themselves. Those are issues that um, are of a socioeconomic nature and need an appropriate solution. What we're talking about here is um, both local syndicates. Those are people who are um, working with insiders to steal large numbers of our game, um, which is then being butchered and sold through what appear to be legitimate butcheries in countries. Perhaps the venison biltong that you have tomorrow could have had some kind of a dubious origin. It's very hard for us to, to prove that. And then, of course, we have the transnational poaching um, that many of us um, have heard discussed so often on SAFM, um, where there are international markets for, uh, for example, the horns of our rhinos. So that's kind of the array of poachers that we'd be talking about and our concern with the whistleblowing is essentially on bringing criminals to book. And here's a message that I think will warm your heart from uh, Baji. I hope I'm saying the name right. It says, hi, Patricia. I just wanted to say hello to Penny. She is a fantastic person, and I am so happy that she's on SAFM, my favorite radio station, which I listen to every day, where work ethics and whistleblowing is involved. She is the best person to ask. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, Paji. <laughs> So thank you so much. I think it's a good note for us uh, to close off on, um, uh, Penny. I mean, uh, people know you for the great work that you are doing. And I know that there's a lot of A-teamers that end up getting in touch with you to find out, um, you know, what they can do to blow the whistle correctly. But before you give us your contact details, could you just kindly give us a hint as to what we'll be discussing next week, Monday on Raising the Bar? Yes, we're finally going to get back to the topic we had scheduled for day, for today, um, and that was small bribes, big consequences. Um, of course, we like to be responsive to the week's uh, developments and plans, so it was great for us to divert our attention to World Wildlife Day. Um, but we're going to be looking beyond the impact on our natural environment, which you've spoken about, to how small bribes can have catastrophic and unexpected consequences. Um, and I really hope that everyone tunes in. Excellent. How do we get in touch with you, Penny? Well, uh, I'd love you to go to the Ethical Ways website. And of course, we have our email, which is info at ethicalways.co.za. And always remember that the name of the firm, Ethical Ways, is a mixture of two words, the one being ethical and the other being always. So it's easy to remember. Excellent. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you Good very night. much, Penny. Uh, A-teamers, it's 11 o'clock on the dot. It's time for us to go to the final news bulletin given to us by Greg Hose. Good evening, Greg.